Mr. Peter Cass, how are you today? Well, I'm fit as a fiddle, Frank, or maybe fit to be tied, but I'm fit in one way or another. Good, good. So I'm gonna uh, we're gonna talk about mixed juice. Uh, your experience with regards to that, um, you know, your mixed juice uh, asset is usually involving uh, commercial a commercial element uh, with uh, residential apartments, and uh, you know, being especially with you being in the Hamilton area, you've probably seen a lot of uh, mixed juice acquisitions. And I know you and I have worked together on many uh, over the years. And what's your thoughts on mixed juice and the pros and cons. Well, um, Frank, I, I can say that what I've seen often is that as uh, regulation becomes tighter and tighter and more complex, um, commercial and residential uh, that are mixed can be difficult. Um, you've got, if it's a food use, that's a problem, you know, with terms of odor and uh, air pollution and so on, uh, ventilation, fire codes. So very often, if you're buying an older mixed-use property, um, you may not be aware of what has to be done and what it costs to make it function properly and have the bylaw people happy. So that's one of the major parts of it to me is always zoning. And what's the upside? I mean, I know I, I, I've just done an interview with um, uh, a gentleman that is incredibly successful. His whole business model is based on mixed-use. He takes heritage buildings uh, and then rebuilds them and then adds, you know, multi-res buildings to them, uh, usually likes to feature restaurants in his commercial element and then does office space. So it's a whole co-living atmosphere, live, work, uh, eat. Uh, it's, um, you know, he's very successful at it. But I mean, if you had clients that have done well with it. I haven't really had a lot of people do that sort of thing. A lot of my clients make money buying, renovating, and flipping. I see right. that. And that you definitely want to do in a corporation, by the way, because the tax rate is so much uh, more uh, uh, helpful than it is if you're doing it personally. So that's an active business. That's really good. But come to think of it, I haven't had people who are expert in the mixed-use space, who are doing the renovations, who understand the engineering involved with ventilation and so on, I, I actually haven't had them. All, all I remember is one, one client told me he rented a space um, and there was a barbecue restaurant that completely polluted his inventory. So uh, that's what worries me about it. But right now, I don't have anybody doing this sort of thing. Really? Well, I know that uh, you know there's another business model, a client that I have that actually would take uh, properties that had vacancies. So obviously, they'd really get a good deal on the property. Um, and then they would um, um, make a business, so a coffee shop and or whatever they felt would be uh, an excellent um, business model. And then they would get that up and running and then they would sell the business uh, to an individual. And then now they've got their building fully leased and uh, they would turn around and sell it and uh, make a profit. So it's incredible the different ways that you can or they would actually keep it. Uh, so they'd refinance it. And then now it's fully leased and they've improved their bottom line, refinance, and then they just keep moving on. Well, Frank, what it comes down to is opportunity is usually found by my clients anyway in a building that isn't working, either because it needs major renovation or because the owner has failed to get the right tenants. Um, I mean, I think you and I have seen that in Hamilton. People would buy a building that had 
uh, a very um, weak tenant base. And then they would pay those people to leave and bring in people that look much better. And all of a sudden at higher rent, the building financed higher. And so you could make a quick flip on the property. Like what I found generally is that investors all seem to have, each one of them follows their own recipe for cooking up some success. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't just copy somebody else. Um, you and I have seen clients who just are unique. I, yeah. I can think of one um, whose name I cannot speak, but you know him well. Yeah. Um, and that gentleman, what he does is only something he can do. One of his friends described them as a wizard, and I, I think it's true. Uh, I was in awe of what he could do. Um, but even though I worked with him, I could never do what he did. Right. Yeah. No, I hear you. Uh, he was an expert an expert at uh, turning uh, buildings around and um, uh, turning the tenant profile around quickly and then reselling the properties um, for excellent profit. And uh, really uh, was quite an exceptional uh, individual. Um, so anyway, uh, for those who uh, have any interest in purchasing or have assets um, that they want to pursue, uh, Peter Cass, Cass and Bishop out in Burlington, um, please feel free to reach out to Peter. Uh, wonderful uh, resource of information. And I just want to thank you once again for uh, making an appearance on the Let's Be Frank about real estate investing podcast. Thanks, Peter. It's my pleasure, Frank, and thanks to you. Welcome, everybody. Roll up your sleeves, grab your pens and papers, and get ready to take notes. My name is Frank Taylor, and this is Let's Be Frank. So, a uh, wonderful podcast uh, interview that I was just able to uh, conduct with Steve Kolakowski from Core Urban out in Hamilton, Ontario. Um, for anybody that uh, wants to check out Steve's work, you've got to go to his website at coreurban.ca and um, you know it, you're going to be blown away um, in that this, this is a self-made story, so... Um, what did you think, Jared? What did you think of the interview? I thought it was a great interview. I think we're really lucky to have gotten Steve. I mean, here's a guy that I think a lot of people my age and I think really anybody can relate to. Uh, I mean, he has an economics degree and he knew exactly what he wanted to do uh, right out the gate. And what did he do? He went to his father and said, hey, I want to be a builder. And his dad goes, you know, if you're going to do this. And being the pragmatic man he, he, he is, he says, if you're going to do this, you need to learn it from the ground up. And so what did he do? Steve ended up uh, becoming a, a framer and a, a drywaller, really just a, a laborer in the purest sense, and uh, worked his way up and, and learned the, the tricks of the trade and eventually uh, got into working in restoration and renovation. And um, if I'm not mistaken, I think he collided with you on uh, Herkimer and Bay, one of his uh, infamous projects. Yeah, his favorite and my favorite. Um, absolutely a classic 
uh, New York style uh, apartment building that um, uh, he uh, restored and then uh, converted into condos. But uh, we were competing against each other uh, for the purchase of that as partner in him one. Uh, and so um, uh, I was very envious to say the least and <laughs> uh, was going by uh, to watch him and his partnership and his, uh, his team uh, rebuild that property to its former glory and then some. So it was, it was really quite the remarkable uh, achievement and uh, one that, um, you know, I admire to this day. Um, so I hope everybody enjoys the show. Uh, grab a piece of paper and a pen. We hope you learned something. And uh, thanks, buddy. Good to talk to oh, you. My pleasure, Frank. Always good to speak with you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Steve Kolakowski. So I want to thank you very much uh, for coming on to the show, Steve. I, uh, I'd like to take this opportunity to uh, allow you to uh, introduce yourself and, and your company. Just right off the bat, right? Just, no intro or anything. Well, do, I'll do a special intro for you <laughs> uh, pre-show, so Just it'll be jump in it, there. it'll be beautiful. But I want uh, I want the audience to know uh, who you are, sir. Uh, Steve Kulikowski. Uh, our business is Core Urban Inc. Um, we specialize in uh, mixed-use residential commercial uh, in Hamilton. I think the block that we live in is like five kilometers. It's like it's yeah. a very small world that we live in. Yeah, and that's uh, that's where we like to work. So um, Hamilton has a, a great base of heritage that, for the most part, is. We've lost a lot, but there's there's a lot that still is untouched um, that we've been able to revitalize over the years and and do some new construction over the years as well. So, well, uh, you have always been. Um, so we're gonna kind of we're gonna we're gonna go back in time, um, but you really are um, one of the only builders that I personally know that has uh, really done a, an amazing job at trying to uh, retain the heritage of a city which is absolutely stunning architecturally. I think, you know, people, you know, have this uh, stigma to Hamilton, which I think is moving away uh, and has uh, predominantly moved away. But there's just so much beautiful architecture in this city. And you have been one individual that has um, not only uh, worked at uh, restoring, but taking it to another level. Um, and so I really uh, want to thank you for taking the time because I think that uh, your, your business uh, and all that uh, you and your partner are doing and your, your team here um, should be celebrated and thank you. Uh, yeah, to, be, uh, to be acknowledged. So going way back in time, um, I just want, you know, my show, what I'd like to do is I'd like to try and get a little bit of a history of who you were when you were a kid and your, a little bit about your family, as much as you want to share, and then uh, who was your influencers, and basically how you, how you kind of went from you know being a young guy in locally and into who you are today. Sure. Um, I mean, always loved architecture. Always loved Hamilton. Um, I went to uh, to Mac, which uh, being from Hamilton and going to Mac, you you go and I mean personally, I had a chip on my shoulder. I, I from the lower city. So you get this catchment of the population from all over the place yeah. coming in. And at the time, there wasn't a lot to talk about Hamilton. So it was a lot right. of negativity. Right. Um, so I, I 
felt like I always had to show the good places of Hamilton. And, and one of my favorite things to do is convert people to Hamilton believers. Good. <laughs> so, so was I. I was always a cheerleader <clears throat> for Hamilton. You got to check out this area and you got to go to this place. And, and uh, it's not so bad, you know, and, and going through university, uh, I took economics. But um, when you're when you're that age, you kind of waste school. You, you take electives that are easy rather than right. if I were to go back now, I would take so many great, interesting classes right, and right, really right. enjoy it. But at the time, you take classes that are easy. So I took urban geographies um, that are historically easy classes. Cool. But the cool part at the time and that time, um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do in life, um, a lot of these urban geographies studied Hamilton and then they would you know, point out the challenges over the years and the struggles and some of the things that were great and uh, what, have gone, what had gone wrong and, and talk about different Rust Belt cities. Because certainly Hamilton is no, you know, uh, isolated incident yeah. it's, a, it's a repeated challenge that um, you know industrialized cities have yeah detroit uh, uh, medium-sized cities yeah yeah i mean just in our region you yeah. like every one of them yeah. has gone through similar challenges and every one of them to some degree now is seeing some urban renewal uh, all really cool cities to go to check out and i i've seen most of them uh and i find them really inspiring so anyways that's a big aside but uh my thing was uh, very simple in, in Hamilton that we have so many interesting places. Um, we have lots of places to live, mm -hmm. lots of places to work in terms of space, but not a lot of interesting spaces. So there's lots of interesting building stock that was underutilized. Um, but it, what was being used is very much bland and uninspiring. So my argument always was very simple that if you created an interesting spaces, that you would attract people or, or retain the people. And when we talk about Mac, you would retain those people to stay in Hamilton because they would have interesting places to live or work. So that was kind of the, you know, that epiphany that I had that it was like, you know what? We should do that. Like if, if I say that it's simple, obviously it's a very granular level, but creating interesting spaces, why don't we try to figure that out? And, um, and this is while you're going to school. Yeah, yeah, it was while I was wrapping up yeah. school and going, you know what, maybe that's something that I could uh, work towards doing. And so your uh, mom and dad, were they into real estate? Was there any interest in the, in the family? No, no family or friends in real estate or okay. construction. Okay. Uh, but my dad's a really hands-on guy and uh, my mom was a nurse um, and they supported me through school. And... Um, when I said I, I, you know, I'd like to do this, um, my father was supportive, but you don't know anything about real estate. You don't even know anything about construction. What say you? Um, and being a hands-on guy, I said, if you want to do that, you should go out and get a job in construction and learn construction. Cool. And so cool because to pay for an education and then turn around and say, you know what, you could go and be a laborer and we'll support you and be happy that that's your decision you want to do is mm -hmm. very cool. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the path that I took. Um, so, so straight out of school, you got your B BCom. So, yeah. was, so you got your no, B uh, economics. Economics. And um, it took some time, believe it or not, to get a job in a construction site yeah. because I had zero experience. experience. Yeah. So... Um, you know, I was started as a laborer moving materials around in a construction site on the mountain on Darnell Road. 
and uh, worked who, for a framing the, company. Who was the company? It was, the, it was uh, a small framing company. It was just a couple guys uh, that would work as a subcontractor for the big builder there. Yeah. And um, I did it um, for about a year and a bit until I felt like I, I came, I started with not knowing how to measure and cut to I finished that uh, portion. I, I mean, I, I think of it as a portion of my learning rather than employment because I looked at it like I'm, I'm not getting paid. Well, I'm getting paid $8 an hour yeah. to move stuff around, but yeah. I'm getting paid to be taught. Yeah. So it was a complete different mentality of I'm going to use this time to absorb as much information as I can rather than oh, I'm only making $8 an hour. Yeah. Um, so when I, I felt as if I was comfortable enough to be able to frame a house by myself. So that's when I started looking for another job. So I kind of checked that box and when framing is just such a fundamental of building, not only in um, residential construction, but everything relates back to framing. Right. Structure. Right. And it doesn't matter if it's concrete or yeah. steel. It's got to be square. Once you understand wood framing, yeah. you kind of get, and once you can measure and cut, it sounds simple, which kind of is, but you could measure and cut a bunch of stuff. Right. You could do trim, you could do drywall, you could do all kinds of things. Right. So I had an opportunity to work for a, a custom home builder. Um, that it was uh, two partners, great people. Um, they did custom work in Burlington and Oakville, and they would take a 100-year-old house um, that's 2,000 square feet and add a 3,000 square foot addition. So that were, that's where it began then. It's, so is that that was your introduction to taking something old and, and making it new again? Exactly. Wow. And okay. I was always interested in it. So to work for this company and these two uh, two guys, they were amazing to work for and we were a small they were a small company as well so they they were on site uh from the demo like we would do the demo on the on the house and until kind of the keys were handed over so not to say that i was doing all those things right. but i was exposed to all those things right and got to see how the contractor relationship worked with subcontractors and it was a really great exposure um are they still from, in business today? They, they are, and they're, they were very supportive while I was working for them. I mean, while I was working for them, I bought my first uh, house uh, in central Hamilton. And it was a different time. It was for $120,000. We're, we're boats in Hamilton. So it was on Barnsdale. On Barnsdale, yeah. which is, uh, it's, uh, uh, Barnsdale's got some beautiful homes on it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but still central, central to the city. It's yep. uh, on the on the lower uh, main part of Hamilton. So there's Hamilton Central, and then there's Hamilton Mountain, which is on the escarpment. But um, Barnsdale, many I've sold many homes on uh, <laughs> on Barnsdale, but beautiful, yep. big, beautiful yep. homes. This one was uh, you know a fairly modest house, but you know regular two and a half story, um, typical Hamilton home. And uh, I was able to do it in the evenings and weekends while I was still working for that company. And they were great because I didn't have a lot of money for tools or materials. It was like, what are you doing tonight, Steve? What are you working on? Use this saw or use really? this. And it, they were fantastic. Wow. Um, and after I sold that home, it took you know better part of five months to do it. Um, that's when I started um, my own business to, to you know, start flipping houses. So in my mind, Getting into real estate was one, I needed to have the construction background and the knowledge to, to do it right. and to understand how it worked uh, in the process. 
Um, but past that, flipping houses in my mind was a way to accumulate capital and equity in a quick way because yeah. it's such a capital-based business that you need that kind of base before you can really do anything. Yeah. So it's totally <laughs> self-taught, right? So you didn't go to trade well, I mean, school. I, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I, yeah, I worked you, for, for people that taught me and yeah. they were very gracious about yeah. teaching me and, and, and you know, giving me that kind of leeway to learn. Um, but I looked at that, those jobs as school. Absolutely. But you weren't, let's say you didn't go through an apprenticeship to be a no. carpenter. You were learning uh, everything uh, from the ground up, from moving yeah. materials to start cutting lumber, yeah. start doing some mill work, yeah. drywall. And we would do the foundations. We would do drywall. So I would do all that stuff. Um, and I think a lot of people will, will ask me, like, you know, how do I do real estate? What do I, what do I have to do? What are the steps? And to me, I don't know any other way. That's just the way that I know. Right. There are ways to do it without that knowledge, but it has been so important for me in what we do, especially because as you know, a lot of the projects we do are pretty complicated. We find a way to make them a pain in the ass. Yeah, they're incredibly so, complicated. So, and, and just to, so people, I'd, I'd like anyone who wants to take out a, a pen and paper because this is, we are in school today. Uh, because right now you've gone from someone that uh, literally went from a university education, economics degree, and then you went on to be a laborer. And today uh, you currently have how many square feet? How many units? What are we? Uh, about 350,000 square feet. And then, uh, yeah, next year we should pass 500. 500,000 square feet. of Is that retail? Retail residential commercial that's our kind of book. okay and and so and one of your areas of expertise is many of your buildings are mixed use so you've yeah. taken a lot of the um uh, buildings and i would implore anybody that wants to see the projects to go to the website uh, that's coreurban.ca and uh, you're going to be blown away by um not just um the type of architecture and design that you've undertaken um, do you, do, does your website have actual interior photographs of does, some of the projects? Yep. Okay, so that's wonderful. So I would definitely uh, take the time to go and, and visit that. But, um, you know, when you, we came across each other uh, was when you, um, you, you bought your first um, uh, building uh, at the corner of Herkimer and Bay. Uh, it was a little bit of a pet peeve for me because it was a, it's to me absolutely probably one of the nicest signature apartment buildings in the city today. Do you know of any building today that exists that is like that, uh, is Herkimer and Bay? It's the only one. It's the only I one. I wish right? we could do one every year for right. the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, uh, it was such a good building. Well, tell, tell the people what it was. Location. So what was it? So <clears throat> a hundred year old building, um, best part of town, um, kind of a like high society apartment building you know, New York, very architecturally significant, a lot of cool details. Very New York, right? Um, this, you know, I, I call it kind of a high society building because the, as an apartment, it had two entrances. So in the day when you'd have a live-in, you know, servant or a housekeeper or whatever, you actually had an entrance for them and yes. for deliveries. Yes. Um, at little, you know, quarters uh, for them. And, and that was just how you lived. It was just a different time. Um, but the units were 1,800 square feet. 
10 foot ceilings. Stunning. And we're talking 100 plus years old, yeah. right? It was all concrete at the time. There was a big, there was some significant fires in Hamilton. So this this building was reinforced, poured in place concrete. Um, just amazing. Yeah. Uh, first elevator in Hamilton. Um, so when we were looking at it, uh, it was at a time where I had completed a, a you know a bunch of flips and was looking for a multi-unit opportunity. It was much bigger opportunity than I was thinking at the time. It was a biggie. Um, but walking through it immediately. I think the negotiation was all of you know a few minutes. Um, we just knew that it was such a good building. Yeah. It's such a good opportunity um, that we had to try to make it work. Yeah. If there's such a thing as being able to fall in love uh, with something, that building, I fell in love with it. Yeah. And um, you know, so I had buyers that we were in the works of of trying to do it, and then you and your partner. Yeah. Um, uh, we're able to uh, land the project. Uh, and then I don't know if you remember, but I used to come around and poke around the building and come and visit because yeah. I I was just like the curious of the cat. I wanted Too nice. to, I yeah. had to see what you were doing and, uh, and then absolutely uh, immediately had an appreciation for the fact that you weren't going to tear it apart. Yeah. You were, because it had all the old wood Right, yeah. all the beautiful yeah. old baseboards, baseboards. The original, original flooring, the doors, and because it was concrete, the door still worked. You know, it wasn't like sometimes you go in an old house and it's like a fun house. You're falling over because the floors are shifted all over the place. It was flat. The doors locked. Yeah. You know, the hardware we had all the hardware taken off and restored and polished and put back on. All the, the original stuff was still there. It was so such a nice building that our biggest fear of the whole thing was just screwing it up. Right. Because it was too nice of a building yeah. that I couldn't live, like, I would never live that down. Mm -hmm. I grew up not that far away from there. Yeah. Uh, love Hamilton. And yeah. it's such a great building. It was like, we yeah. can't screw this thing up. Yeah. It's too nice. Yeah. So we really went in our minds above and beyond to try to do the things that would, you know, give it another hundred years of life. Because yeah. at the time that we purchased it, it had an original boiler still. Yeah. All the mechanical the plumbing, everything was still original. So it was at that point where it was kind of, it needed a change of ownership and something, some event like this to happen to give it new life. So without that, you know, who knows what would have happened yeah. to the property. And it was a different time in Hamilton too. It was 2009. So it's yeah. not like condos were hot yeah. in Hamilton. So we had a bit of an uphill battle, but um, the way we were able to jump from what we were doing to that building was very serendipitous because it was existing. Um, it took a long time to get a lender to agree to almost pie the mortgage, like to, to break it in pieces. Yeah. Uh, any, any lender we would go to, first of all, there very few at the time wanted to do anything like that. Um, so that was a bit of a challenge, but um, getting... So just to slow down, it was a rental building at the time a rental that building. you wanted to then uh, do a conversion to condos, right? Yes. So really one of the first uh, projects like that, uh, yeah. that where you're actually taking existing rental stock and actually doing a conversion. Yeah. Uh, so then you obviously had an uphill battle because it was one of the first in the city um, and, uh, and it was such a prominent building, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, um, yeah, go on. We, um, uh, the way we bought it was, um, it was kind of conditionally approved as a condo. So we had to go through some, we had to clear those conditions, but we had, 
a sense that we could get to the finish line. So we didn't start from the, you know, from the starting line. Yeah. It was already kind of down the road a little bit. So there was some confidence there. But this lender, we had to find somebody that wouldn't, as soon as we'd sell a, build, a, a unit, every lender wanted the whole more initial mortgage paid back. So that's right. obviously a huge challenge. Right. And for us, our model was we, we don't, we didn't, we never want to kick anybody out. So we worked really hard to make sure that everybody had a place to go, which took a long time. Yeah. The great thing about that was that we, we didn't have to have this big construction facility to do the whole building at once, which was not something we could afford to do at the time anyways. So we would do it a unit at a time, but in that scenario, any normal lender, um, like if it was an RBC or traditional big five, they would say, okay, you sold a unit, you have to pay back the, the full thing. You can't just cut up a mortgage. Right. So we ended up working with a credit union in Hamilton that the vendor actually had the mortgage with. And they would allow us to break up the mortgage. So basically every time a unit sold, we would get a portion and, they, and the lender would get a portion. So we'd pay down some debt, but then we'd have some working capital too. Cool. So for such a big project, it was 27 units, uh, we had a very small construction line and we would just kind of self-finance it mm -hmm. after we started rolling a little bit. So it took a lot longer to do the deal than we would do now, but allowed us to go from a small company to something that you know we were able to do a big deal. But it was almost like doing it as a subdivision. Right. We didn't have all the exposure all the time. Yeah. And in Hamilton, it took some time to sell those units, even though they were, you know, less than three hundred dollars a square foot. Oh my God! <laughs> Finished product was absolutely stunning. I was a very unique property because it had garages. Yeah, right? had parking. So you actually were uh, you were able to like deed the garage. Were you yeah. not deeding yeah. the garage? So you had garages, you had parking, and then there was a separate building, uh, which was a triplex. That's right. Is that, yeah. uh, so it was a triplex, which you then converted to condo units as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was, and, and you know, so you know that I've got a background in historical restorations as well. So I have a full appreciation for this. And like I said, I was always poking around to see how it was going, but you know, on many of the projects, what I did was I always worked on the outside first, uh, and then of course the common areas, and then had to go into the units individually because as you just said, you inherited existing tenants, right? Yeah. Uh, and did you get into situations where you were in like a cash for keys, what they call cash for keys now? Were you saying, you know, we'll give you X number of dollars if you're willing to leave and or, or help them find a new? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's it's really important to us to not uh, displace anybody. Okay. Um, so it took a long time to make sure that everybody had a new place that they were happy with. Yeah. Um, so certainly there were some incentives that over time, you know, what what could we do to help them yeah. move, help moving expenses or, you know, first and last, whatever that might look like. There's a couple challenges in the end, but um, unfortunately in a situation like that, like I said, the building was on its last legs. So it needed to go through that challenge. Um, and without that reconstruction, the building would just fade away. Oh yeah, it was, uh, it needed a full restoration. Yeah. Uh, it was original, it was original. Yeah. Uh, it was built built well, uh, the bones were good, but it needed everything, sure. right? And uh, without um, the condo, like without having that 
transaction event happening, you wouldn't do all that work with a rental at right. the time. So it needed some kind of event to happen that would justify that work to be done, right. which would then give it life again. Right. And the project from beginning of when you first acquired it to completion, because there was a transitional time frame with many tenants that were long term, yeah. right? Uh, how long did it take from the beginning process to the end? It took about two years. Was it two years? Okay. Yeah. So uh, I thought it was a little longer than that, but uh, that's that's pretty good considering that you you yeah. had, I mean, these were 1,800 square feet yeah. units and, uh, and truly, absolutely, they were almost like little mini mansions. Right. Uh, yeah. They really were yeah, uh, within an apartment them. building. Yeah, right? they were amazing. Like the floors. Uh, the, the Coruscant oak oh, floors. Oh my gosh, and the, the iron rod railings. and yeah. uh, it was, marble stairs. Oh my gosh, it was absolutely Crazy gorgeous. Nice. I remember, did it not have um, stone lions out in the front? Uh, was it that were carved out of stone? Like it's got great precast. The terracotta, it's got terracotta all over it, yeah, like absolutely. the terracotta portico and the the details around the uh, the like the corbels and the soffit and yeah. it's like amazing. Well, you know, it's funny. I kind of I jumped the gun a little bit because I'm like a kid in a candy store because this is one of my favorite. You just story. want to talk about her. Yeah, oh my god, it is one of my favorite buildings. But we're sitting in your office, and and center to your office is a picture of the building, which is uh, absolutely incredible. But before you got into Herkimer, um, I just want to go back to so you bought your first home you on Delaware, and then you redid it, and then did you flip it? Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So in my mind, uh, the the purchase and rent and refinance is a great model. But at the time, uh, I, I couldn't afford to keep the 20% in, right? Yeah. You, you can only pull so much of that equity out when you do a refinance. So needed that equity to keep rolling into the next and into the next and into the next yeah. and uh, doing more. And, and like I said, getting ready for the opportunity to do something multi-unit. So it was all just a strategy on trying to get to that multi-unit deal. So how many were you, did you do before you got to your first It was a couple rest? years of it. So yeah, it was, it was quite a few. And then okay. we were doing some contracting as well because we would sell houses. Uh, we'd have um, open houses and people go through and go, I, I really like this. Can you just do this to my house? So it was kind of a, a, then that business started as well, that we would then service actually clients and do it for their, their is homes. It, is this with the builders in, in No, Berlin this is while I was flipping Well, houses. so you were still working for them yeah. and they, they were supporting you in also really developing your own business yeah. model? Yeah. Really? Yeah. So are, do you still to this day talk to them? I mean- it, Sorry, that was after I stopped working for them. Okay, it was after. Okay, all right. Yeah, so, but I still keep in touch with them. They're great, great people. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Like, isn't that and, great? And I, I really appreciate the opportunity that they gave me and the runway they gave me and the amount of knowledge that they downloaded to me. I wouldn't, I could not do what we do today without the help that they gave me. They were your mentors, yeah, right? For sure, yeah. I think that's really important. Yeah. And they must be so proud of uh, what you've done. Like, I mean, uh, I hope so. I know I am. Uh, just <laughs> in, in that we've never we've known each other and known of each other and always come across each other all the time. But I've got to uh, bear witness to an individual that uh, really has gone from what really is the success story of from nothing uh, by all standards, self-made, and uh, and then you have built something that is. In my opinion, uh, and we've got a lot of builders in the Hamilton area, and it's it, there's uh, this. You're a unique 
developer, right? You have taken and um, celebrated mixed use, but always uh, capturing what's existing and then working with it and improving upon it, which not a lot of people do, right? I think we do the stuff that smart people don't want to do. Right. So we do right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you, We've never been accused of being too intelligent, but the, the, the projects we do are difficult. So yeah. that's why I think, uh, you know, most builders would shy away from it because they're, they're paying the ass. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, there are a lot of challenges and a lot of unknowns. Yeah. Um, you know, thankfully, it is a, our niche. Uh, so we, you know, feel like we're, we've got a good handle on it. Yeah. Um, and the way that we approach the projects, I think, is a lot different than just being afraid of all the things that will go wrong. We anticipate that everything will go wrong. And if there are things that go right, then we're more pleased than disappointed. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just a change in approach that we have. And, you know, we, we believe that some of these old properties um, with the interesting pieces of it that like, are intangible, like the brick and the, the, some of the features of ceilings or floors and uh, the exterior, like you can't, we, we, we can replicate it, but it's not the same as that old feel. Right. Like the imperfect is the cool part. Yeah. And... Um, you know, I think when you go away somewhere, you don't talk about the brand new building that was just built that has no soul. You talk about, I was in this restaurant and this building, like this uh, 100-year-old building was so special. And yeah. it, that's the stuff that you feel yeah. and you have the anecdote that you bring back. So yeah. that's the way we've always approached these buildings, that if we can if we could take them and turn them into something, then maybe people will take notice of Hamilton and want to come here or stay here. And uh, be proud of the downtown because we're yeah. proud of it. We're proud of the downtown and the work that we do. And we want, it's real estate and development is such an outward facing business that we feel a responsibility to do it right because it can change how people have an outlook of downtown. Yeah, well, you <coughs> have, um, you uh, are primarily responsible uh, for um, the downtown rejuvenation uh, in many ways. Uh, your your work uh, <coughs> your workspaces are absolutely uh, mind blowing, but you developed that through started with your own business on your own, and then you came across a partner, uh, and that was through networking. How did that work? Because you know you and your partner have really built this company that we know today, absolutely. right? Absolutely. So can we talk about your partner and just quickly on how you met and sure. his background? Yeah, I mean, he and his wife, uh, David and Maureen Sauvé, are uh, true Hamiltonians. You know, they're Tim Hortons franchisees. He was a Thai cat. So between the two things, I mean, you can't get much more Hamilton right. than coffee and Thai cats. Right. Uh, always real estate investors, uh, but not to this degree. So when we uh, came across each other, it was just a great partnership opportunity. And uh, we've been partners ever since. So they were they were <coughs> so they were purchasing uh, investments, but not really ever get into the renovation sure. and and so and then so it was so it was the marriage uh, kind of you know you had something to bring to the table and you and you both came together. Yeah, so. and and strong business people um, and talk about mentors. I mean, uh, the amount of information that we've been able to download together. Uh, I'm just. It's amazing, you know, so we, our strength is uh, working together and acquiring properties is a challenge and uh, working with landowners and, and stakeholders in the community, working with the city, um, having each other to lean on and, and work through these challenges. 
wouldn't, I don't think we'd be able to do it individually. So working together has been the strength of the company. Obviously, and it's, and it's evident. <coughs> Uh, with regards to to the market conditions that we see today and how it's evolved, and I know that you must be of the same opinion, we haven't really seen uh, anything really dramatic happen in the market in the last 20 years, dare I say, because, sure. you know, 2008, yeah, there was a, a market shift, but because Hamilton got kicked so hard in 1990. You're still catching up. Well, basically, uh, you know, it wasn't the, the market really didn't decline. There yeah. wasn't an actual negative impact. Right. It, it it stalled for a while and slowed down. But technically, we haven't had really any type right. of market <clears throat> shift for twenty some odd years since the nineties, right? And that's been a strength of our partnership as well, because my my partner has seen those um, challenges in real estate. So. Through growth, I mean, it, you leverage, you leverage, you leverage. Um, but we've always been very cautious about over leverage. So our book would be uh, 50% loan to value. Okay. Um, we won't over leverage in case there is an event. Right. Um, so we want smart growth. We do, you know, one or two good projects a year and just stay in our lane and just chip away at it. And I mean, what a time in Hamilton's renaissance to be doing it. Yes. Um, we recognize that that tide and the wind has been on our back. Yes. Um, but it's not to lose sight that something can happen. Um, and one of the first questions my partner, uh, David, asked me when we were first talking about, you know, doing Herkmer, he said, have you ever lost money in a deal? And I think that was the single most important question that he asked yeah. for him. Yeah. Uh, because I had, and, and I went through 08, owning a few houses at the same time, lost money on one and you it's like going to the casino you could win a bunch of money yeah. but you don't the in my mind i don't i'm my happiness return is not as great as my you know unhappiness right deficit if yes. i lose yeah so you really get those events ingrained in you yeah. and without that you only see prosperity you act and behave differently on being cautious or making the right decision and pressing for deals. Um, you know, the great thing about real estate is not having to have a big machine that you have to feed. Right. And we've been very cautious with that over the years to not overextend ourselves that we have to do more deals in order to be successful. Right. We, like I said, if there's a deal to be made and it's, it fits our model, then we'll do it, but we won't press right. to get the deal done or right. just to do another deal. Right. So the deals that we do, we try to have them be meaningful. I mean, there's some that will be meaningful on a community level that we'll spend more money on. So they don't necessarily have to be the, every deal has to be an out of the park financial deal. There could be other aspects that are really important for us, but every deal has to fit into our model. And if it doesn't, we won't press it and risk, you know, what we've built to keep moving forward. And we don't want to get caught in the middle when there's, is an event that happens. It's going to happen. It's just, inevitable, right? It's it, inevitable, it, it, right? What now? They'll just—they're just never going to happen. Yeah, it's, it's just, impossible. That's right? your point. It's been too good for too long. Yeah. So my partner, you know, for years now has been saying winter is coming. Winter is coming now. Good. COVID. It was a bit of a winter. Uh, lots of challenges came out of. COVID. Well, we we all thought. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I thought if there was going to be the shift, it was going to be that event. I mean, yeah. it only made sense. You right? have a pandemic. Nobody's working. Everybody's at home, and real estate prices go up. Why? Right? <laughs> like insane. 
insane. I mean, right? interest rates have stayed low. Um, it, it, I mean, it goes to show that it's been such a challenge. Really, nobody knows what's happening. Nobody knows. Nobody what, knows what what to do to keep everybody in play, um, because the government obviously doesn't want to see anybody um, fail. It's been, uh, but I think if you told us in March of 2020 that it was going to be 18 months or two years of this, it would have been a lot different. Right. So it's been kind of death by paper cuts. But right. uh, hopefully we're behind it. <clears throat> it's behind us. Well, many of your, uh, your retail space are restaurants. And um, you've been a fantastic <clears throat> uh, advocator of, uh, I think, um, some of the nicest restaurants you uh, are in your buildings yeah. uh, in the city. Uh, so it must have been one heck of a, a journey to go through COVID to help support. Did all the businesses stay? Were they able to survive? For the most part. I mean, there was one restaurant that did not survive because they went through an acquisition with a big restaurant group. Okay. And I think they just didn't care about that space anymore. Okay. That being said, it, it rented fairly quickly to a local group. Um, and it's been great ever since. But uh, to your point, we worked with everybody off the hop. Um, we have close relationships with all of our tenants. Yeah. Um, and I think we will say no as much as we say yes, mm -hmm. because we believe, like I said earlier, that we have a responsibility to the community and, and we want every restaurant to do well. So it's not that we know what food people like. I mean, I certainly like eating and drinking, but the important part is making sure that together they're better off and that different concepts were in different locations so that one wasn't taking business from another directly. Right. So different offerings, different locations, and making sure that we work with strong operators. Um, so I think those relationships really were tested during COVID and they showed how strong our relationships were and the quality of people that we work with. So um, we supported all the programs uh, and worked with every tenant uh, through different you know, ways the government were supporting and, and ways that we creatively worked together to make sure that everybody would get through it. And I think that hopefully we're behind it now. I mean, we're just recently back to full occupancy for these places, yeah. um, but it's still, there's gonna be some scorched shirt there. So we'll continue to work with them um, as long as we have to, to make sure that everybody continues to work because Hamiltonians want those spaces and, and it's good for the city. We want, restaurants to us have always been a vehicle to get more people to see the interesting parts of downtown. Mm -hmm. Um, you want the buildings to be outward facing that they bring public in and what better way to do it than to have a restaurant. Right. And if it's a quality restaurant that's now not only driving this community, it might be pulling people from Hamilton or sorry, from Burlington or Oakville, Toronto. surrounding communities, Toronto. Yeah, and they, oh, I hear there's cool things happening in Hamilton. Yeah. What do you hear that's cool? You hear there's cool restaurants yeah. and that's where it starts. So we hope that you know, our vision with the restaurants were let's start with the restaurants, let's get some traction here. And then the next step, if we can get some retail back to Hamilton, that, that would be fantastic. But the, the restaurants is really a fantastic vehicle to get people back to a downtown core. So we we're very considerate about what which ones would go where and, and how do we make that, yeah. that happen, right? So I'm, I'm proud to say that they we worked really well together through COVID and um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, through this winter and, and summer that they'll get back to being normal. Yeah. In the residential, were you impacted with the residential <clears throat> and, and how did you deal with that? Same way. I mean, if we, uh, uh, we always will work with tenants. 
you know, what do we have to do to help with your challenge? Yeah. I think um, we're from Hamilton. I, we all live, we live in Hamilton. We don't want to be the type of developer that I don't want to see the people we work with. So we see the people on, we see our tenants. Yeah. We see them on the street. We say hello. And I think that's important. And so we're going to support each other when there is challenges and they'll support us. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a relationship that I think should be more holistic than just this is what the contract says you have to pay. Right. And if you don't, then you're screwed. Right. Yeah, but or we could work with some empathy and work together. And I think it's still self-serving because we're better off together than we are apart. Right. So it's not that it's just a, you know, we're just doing it as a nonprofit. It, of course, everybody has to make money and yeah. And it's a business, but there's, I think there's a way you could attro- approach business. And I think maybe it's what I know in Hamilton that we all try to work together. You know, Hamilton business people, I think, aren't necessarily cutthroat. It's not, I don't want to take from you to make myself better. Right. I want us all to do better together. Yeah. You know, that high tide lift all boats. If that's the strategy, I think that's kind of the Hamilton way. Good. How do we work together? So with, with that said, uh, and through COVID, have that now changed your uh, mindset and some of your design concepts on your newer uh, multi-res uh, for work at home and uh, smart building technologies? Have you been incorporating that into your new designs and, and or what's underway right now? Cause yeah, got- we've got, I mean, uh, open air buildings. Uh, everybody has access to fresh air, balconies, Juliet balconies. Um, we like a livable scale. So to me, you know, living in a 30-story building during a pandemic would be such a painful way to live. You know, do you take the stairs? Do you wait for one or two people yeah. on an elevator of three elevators yeah. for that amount of units? It's, that's a challenging way to live. Yeah. We, we think that, you know, six, eight, ten stories is a really nice livable size that you could still focus on the design of the building. It could still be something significant architecturally. Uh, it could still have a soul um, and then it's not encroaching too much on the sidewalk or your walking space for the public that it feels like it's overpowering. So we love that size. Right. Um, so our, you know, the new projects that we're working on, they're pre-zoned for 12. Um, one building's uh, six, the other two are nine. You know, it's that type of livable space that I think is considerate to the neighborhood right. is what drives us. And to your point with COVID, they have more den space. So they have, you know, we cut out areas to put desks okay. and something that's conscious that, you know, people, a lot of people are working from home or at least for a portion of the time. <clears throat> so we want to plan for that. And I think, you know, going through COVID, you understand that people's wants and desires are changing. A little yeah. Bit. Well, it's certainly given uh, it, an ability for everybody to kind of step back, reassess, take a look at the model that they currently have and then start looking at the future in a different way right yeah. uh, on so many <coughs> on so many levels with regards to even because you've got so many tenants that are in the restaurant hospitality industry and I do believe the worst is over so I think that that I think that anybody in the restaurant hospitality that has obviously had a, a, a landlord like yourself that's been able to work together but if you've been able to make it through covid 
my gosh, uh, I think you can pretty well make it uh, anywhere. Um, And so, and and also what's got, what I think has been great is that people have been out. They want to go on patios. I think now that you've, now that you're seeing maybe, uh, you know, maybe some of your new designs might now be looking at enlarging the capacity of patio spaces because, because now people, and they enjoy it, right? Right. It's, it's almost like, um, it's, it's like that opportunity that we're having now, uh, like they have in Europe where it's always cafes and it's always outdoor cafes. And I think that we've always been insulated inside our apart, you know, our places and, and now have started saying, you know what, let's get outside. And even in the wintertime, yeah. people are willing to sit out. Yeah. Uh, so if you can think and engineer your design concepts with that in mind, you could have patios that are all year round yeah. if it's well thought out. And I think, you know, it, it takes an event like this to show, uh, to have the city change their mindset on certain things. Yes. Like King William's a very walkable street. It doesn't have a lot of traffic, but... They, they closed the city closed it from much of the summer beautiful uh make it pedestrian only and it, it was a great you know spillover for patio so yeah. it creates that atmosphere that like piazza yeah you know that uh that you love seeing when you're traveling yeah, right absolutely we can have nice things too absolutely <laughs> hamilton has really gone through renaissance uh is the art crawl still a big event i mean i know it's obviously been affected by covid but um, I used to love the art crawl. I mean, For sure. uh, it was, again, one of those changes that occurred in Hamilton, uh, which is James Street North, where they really started taking a lot of the, the buildings and tried to provide incentives for t- uh, art-related uh, individuals, right? Uh, right? For retail and seamstresses. And so, you know, they closed James Street and yeah. uh, James Street North, and then you can walk up and down and and it's such a uh, wonderful experience so i hope that that still has uh been well underway but um you know when you're working with your type of business model how important is it when you've been building your relationships with working with financial institutions have you stayed uh because you mentioned um uh that you were working with a a certain finance uh uh, was a community what was the Uh, Credit union. Credit union. So the credit union you're working with, is it one that you've developed and continued on with? They, uh, so it was a smaller credit union. And uh, so their ability to lend is not, they don't have that much in deposits. Okay. So they're kind of capped. But we, we actually still keep our, some accounts there. because and, and if we can ever keep them in play, if, if, if it means syndicating something with a larger credit union, we'll do it. Right. Just because we, we feel responsibility to still work with them because they worked with us when nobody else would. Um, but traditionally, we will look to credit unions, specifically First Ontario and Meridian, um, to do construction acquisition financing. Okay, cool. And then uh, once that asset's stabilized, it'll be a regular traditional lender that will come in with takeout financing, low rate, long term, and just let it ride. Wow. Okay, so <coughs> credit, credit union me. financing. Uh, and uh, and then you would then once it's completed, then you're going to get uh, your your more institutional finance. Yeah, so credit unions place. will offer a little more flexibility. They're smaller organizations, so yeah. they know you get to know them. I mean, First Ontario is heavily invested in Hamilton. Um, we actually have them as a tenant. Um, beautiful, so, so beautiful we, space, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. So we we work with the people that are decision makers. Yeah. So they understand who we are. We've got a track record. And, um, you know, a lot of the stuff we do is not only complicated, but we also always do our projects on spec. So we have the confidence in Hamilton 
uh, with our community, with no, a knowledge of our community that we we do fully on spec. So we call it the field of dreams that wow. we'll build it and then they'll come. So we got to make it cool. Yeah. And then look for tenants after that. Not always a, you know, a situation that lenders want to enter into. Right. <clears throat> but like I said, we've got a track record of doing this. Yeah. And um, the credit unions offer more flexibility. If there's slightly higher rates that you have to pick, um, which then turns to take out traditional financing and five or 10 year terms as low a rate as possible, right. lock it in. And then we just manage the asset and, and make sure that uh, the property is taken care of and the tenants are taken care of and, and kind of rinse and repeat. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We have the same philosophy. Um, <clears throat> I always believe too, that when you build it and if you do it right, you, they will come and, yeah. it's, and they will come if the quality is there. Uh, and you've got a vision uh, that people, uh, and you've, we, we have a lot of similarities because, um, you know, and again, I implore anybody that's listening to go to your website because, you know, the um, projects you've done are just really mind-blowing, but are exactly in all that I love and celebrate. Um, and so I certainly um, just get tickled pink when I get to see the projects that you're doing. We just did a walkthrough on a uh, pro on a, a brand new build that you're doing, one of three uh, building complexes with underground parking. Um, this one was a five unit, a five story, right? With a six, six uh, no, which is a seven with the seventh uh, rooftop. Oh, so the seventh <clears throat> floor is the rooftop. Okay. And then so that will be when the, all three of those uh, are completed, that'll be a total of how many units? 166. 166 with how much square foot of retail? About 25,000 square feet of retail. Beautiful, right? Yeah, and more restaurant space. It's on a kind of a really cool street in Hamilton that uh, is a little pubby. You know, it's kind of... Uh, it is pubby. Couple cool, couple cool uh, restaurants. So we think having that side of the street filled in and with some interesting architecture, bringing more people and having some density there would be a good thing for the street. Um, so we're excited. I think it's really going to transform the street in a positive way. Yeah, and in the city has I mean, so so many people that are from that are buying in Hamilton. So I'm still a big advocate of Hamilton. There many think that it's uh, it's outpriced itself, and so many investors are now literally uh, you know they're they're not going to Kitchener Waterloo and London and Hamilton anymore. They're they're going to Thunder Bay. Yeah, and they're going to Sudbury. Right. Yeah. Welland is hot, right? Um, and so, uh, although it, you know, you have to always look for cash flow. Sure. Um, I worry uh, about um, when the market does adjust, which it's going to. Uh, how much of an impact are those uh, areas going to suffer? Because sure. um, you know, when when there's an adjustment. I think of it, and through my experience, and I know your partner probably will believe the same way, it's about a 10-year run when the market does adjust. Uh, so you've got to be prepared to, to, to do that 10 years for whenever it, it occurs. But smaller communities are impacted even longer, and yeah. sometimes they don't even recover, right? It can be, can be 15, 20, 25 years because yeah. they're so isolated, right? So I try to advocate that if there's a way to make it work, and to always try and purchase and buy in your local area because sure. I don't know about you, but I like to go and see the real estate yeah. that I own. I like to walk around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know whether it's just I'd like to admire uh, what I do, but I do. I have pride of uh, ownership. And I, I also just think, you know, if we, we, 
wouldn't have the confidence to do what we do in a community that we don't know. Right. So um, I think that's paramount in what we do because uh, we do do the field of dreams, but we do it with confidence knowing the community. And I think having our finger on the pulse of the business community that we understand what people would want. I mean, Hamilton still has a very high vacancy, commercial vacancy. It's high teens, like 17, 18%. Uh, Pre-COVID, we had basically no vacancy in any of our office space, which is the predominant side of our business. Um, And we're getting back to that now. We're pretty close. Um, So without that confidence, I I mean, some people buy real estate in different ways. So, you know, they would buy and just look for cash flow. and, And if it's a good price per unit or door, that's what they'll look at. And that's great. That's just not what what we do. And for us we look for projects that we can add value to. So it's not just about in that situation, somebody's looking at it as cash flow and purchase, where we're looking at what can we do to add value that then justifies a higher value. Um, And then when it's said and done, if our cost can be covered, we can go in and do it again. So without that, we can't grow. So I think that's why we've been able to grow in, a, I believe, a conservative way, staying in our lane, but very aggressively in deal flow and proportions of size of, of projects. Um, without adding that value, we wouldn't be able to grow that significantly. Yeah. Do you, are you an advocate or a supporter of um, the initiatives being undertaken to try and move more of the um, uh, television and movie industry to Hamilton? Like, I mean, I could see that being... I mean, I really, I, you look at what's going on and uh, all the warehouse space and all the facilities that, you know, it's no brainer uh, that could be uh, utilized for sets. Yeah. Uh, we know that Hamilton's been, been used uh, for set locations as New York City forever and a day or different American mm-hmm. towns. Um, and as a developer who has office space, uh, is it, and I know there are initiatives right now, the city is undertaking and, and different groups are in, in town now that are trying to um, draw more of uh, artistic uh, uh, business, you know, which I think is great. I, I think Hamilton starting to set itself aside as a city of, of steel and art, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think that that is, um, I think it's wonderful. Do, yeah. do you get involved in any of those activities as a business and a company to try and help solicit that that type of industry to the city? We just want more people to stay in Hamilton and not drive down the highway. Right. So, yeah. so anything we could do to do that. And that's why we really focused on um, office space for the better part of the last, you know, six or seven years, because we believe that having more employment in Hamilton can make a big difference. Yeah. You know, there's lots of residential buildings going on right now, but having more office space and more people working here, uh, pre-COVID we had, in our buildings, we had over a thousand people working in them, which is meaningful for us. Yeah. I mean, we think that makes a big difference on the, how the the heartbeat of a downtown works that wouldn't have been there otherwise. Right. Um, so our mantra is always just don't, what do we have to do to get people to stop going down the, the 403? Yeah. And um, a lot of it, to your point, is that creative industries. I've uh, got some more fintech and, and uh, um, you know, tech-centered uh, employers that are coming to Hamilton. And, and, you know, when I was in university talking about touring people around, converting them to Hamilton believers, you know, that's a huge passion of mine. But now converting companies 
to Hamilton believers, especially when we're in competition with an office space that maybe a company's looking at in Toronto. Yeah. So if a company's looking at Hamilton or maybe Toronto, we do everything we could do to try to get them to Hamilton. Good for you. And when we can do it, it's we celebrate it because yeah, yeah. it's meaningful to get more employment here. Um, and and sure, we have our rent is lower in Hamilton than it is in in Toronto. But the main driver for some of these businesses, especially larger ones, because we have some businesses that are ten or twenty thousand square feet, yeah. that would have you know fifty to hundred people in it, and their main driver is quality of life for their people. So they recognize Hamilton as a medium-sized city. There's more to life than just having to be in the concrete jungle. Right. So geographically, we're set. In, we're in a beautiful region. Yeah. Uh, we have access to Toronto. We have access to Niagara. Um, real estate prices, even through Hamilton, Hamilton eyes, it's a little bit, you know, crazy compared to, you know, the way it's been in the past. Yeah, but it's but not still Toronto. from it's not Toronto. from Hamilton eyes. It's still, or sorry, Toronto eyes. It's still affordable, right? Oh, gosh. Our, our delta or our differential between Toronto is still as great as it's ever been, even though our prices are as high as they've ever been. Yeah. So that focus on quality of life and. Uh, you know, more than just employment for their people is really what's setting us apart and why we've had success in bringing these companies here. Well, well it's, <coughs> it's, it's fascinating. One of the studies, because I was in, when I started in Hamilton, downtown was dead, right? It really was. I mean, you lived here, you remember, right? Um, but I was a big cheerleader and I, I felt that, you know, how could we be so close to Toronto with all that was going on and not have the spillover eventually come here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I knew that the vision and what you, what we see today uh, for downtown Hamilton compared to what it was 15 years ago to what I think it's going to be in another 15 years. And I think you probably have even a, a better vision of what you uh, see it. But it's interesting. There was a study I think that Hamilton adopted uh, that was conducted by, I believe it was the city of Detroit. And they started realizing, so many uh, cities in the United States, uh, even though they were huge cities, they were dead at night mm-hmm. because they all, all they had was office towers. Yeah. And they realized, uh, or studies started to come in, that in order for a downtown to be vital, you've got to have people live downtown, you've got to be able to service them to be live downtown, work downtown. So it seems to me that you, uh, as a developer, are adopting that. You're providing residences, workspace, uh, restaurants. Um, do you have any, uh, and uh, like when it comes to grocery shopping, what's the options here when people, I know there was some talk about a grocery train uh, locating at, at Square, at, uh, not Square, one, Square. At, yeah. that's right, yeah. there. how did that uh, go? Nations. I mean, it is an urban grocer, and that is a, chicken and egg discussion that's happened, you know, forever in a day that you need a great grocery store before you will get more people here or you need more people here before you get a great grocery store. Yeah. You know, certainly pre-pandemic, Hamilton was so vibrant. Like the downtown really had a great uh, vibrancy, a really nice feel to it. And that life kind of got sucked out of it when people stopped coming to work. Um, It's starting to come back now, but I find solace in the fact that there's so much density happening in Hamilton now that when you talk about dark days of Hamilton, when the downtown was hollowed out, we didn't have the density downtown. No, no, so there wasn't. We 
we're confident in Hamilton returning to those days now because there's so much density that's not only have transpired, yeah. but you look around, there's cranes everywhere. There's a ton of development happening yeah. and there's even more that's in planning. So if we continue on the trajectory of getting people downtown, those people will come back during the day. Yeah. You know, and you'll have that vibrancy where we we've never had the amount of growth in the down like the downtown proper that we have these last couple of years. Yeah. So that will continue and that is happening, which will get people back to the core. Yeah. Which is different than those dark days. Well, I think what's important for downtown to survive and it's a priority. And the reason I brought up with the shopping was that uh, you need to have people be able to go and get groceries and it needs to be accessible yeah. and easy or uh, do something and solicit the city to, you know, have uh, different types of fruit shops, but they, they so yeah. that they can survive and have the tax reflects so that it can right. service uh, the community. Because if you want to live downtown, you first, you don't want to have to have a car anymore, right? Yeah. You got the GO train station. You got two stations within walking distance yep. of right on, on Main and King. You have, uh, you want to be able to have a bike ride, ride share, uh, you know, which I know you guys have. You almost lost it. Yeah. But it's big in Toronto. And then we were talking earlier about communal auto, which I believe is now starting in Hamilton. But, um, you know, companies like yourselves, I think would be smart to try and uh, advocate to, to, to support those types of, because now you're going to attract, uh, you know, there's so many young kids, they don't want a car payment. Yep. They don't want to have to, you know, pay for these. Now they've got tool share programs. Right. Um, so if you can make it so that you can shop, you can, you can do everything right within walking distance, this is a win-win-win, yep. right? Yeah. And I mean, you've got the Bayfront, which is walkable from here, right? So, I mean, look what even's happened down by the Bay. I mean, yeah. those now look at the houses, right? And, yeah. and the redevelopment that's going on. So I, I still see a lot of upside in this city uh, and I find it to be uh, fascinating. And I think one question, because that you are as prominent as you are, um, but I think it's important for most to understand that you take existing you basically totally got it, and then you rebuild with the extension of new. But how do you make sense of cap rates? How do you um, facilitate your business with the cap rates that are going on today? How do you make sense of it? Because I think that's something that most people can't get their head around. How do I yeah. make a cap rate, today's cap rates work? Well, we, like I said earlier, we won't buy on cap rates. So we won't buy on, okay, this is a five cap, therefore it's a good investment. Yeah. We will only buy if we can add value to it. Right. So um, it, kind of how we make sense of some of these challenging properties is, is joining them together. Yeah. So because we do such an extensive, extensive work to it, um, and one of the main focuses we have is adding accessibility. So every project we do, uh, traditionally these heritage buildings don't have easy access. They have, don't have elevators. They most of the time they only have one staircase. Um, so how do you get people, especially people that are challenged mobility-wise, to be able to get in the buildings? Because for us, if if it's not accessible to everybody, it's it's a failure. Okay. So that's front and center. We always create accessibility. Um, so we need a certain amount of square footage to be able to make that happen. So if, if it is, you know, uh, most of our buildings are from a, a retro perspective are 40 to 60,000 square feet. Okay. 
So we'll amalgamate properties um, and add square footage. We've, we've added floors, we've added density. Um, and it's just trying to get it to a place where we feel the whole building can then justify the, the work that has to be done. Because really, we take it to a shell and it's all new. Yeah. I mean, it's all new mechanical. It's the way the building works. Its infrastructure is, is it's all state of the art, but it's in an old shell. And that's really what has been our success. It's not just kind of putting some lipstick on. Yeah. It's it's really how do you take the asset and bring it to the next level? Yeah. You know, and and creating some contemporary elements to it. It's not just about working within the existing structure. We want the building to kind of scream, look look what happened to me. You know, like you should want to be here. Yeah, this is right. kind of cool. Yeah, no. And uh, we want the tenants to want to have that and be yeah. proud to be in it, right? So every building we do, we're very conscious that it's got to be um, it, it's got to kind of say, like, look how kind of cool, cool I am. you yeah, want to right. be in. Yeah, right, you right, know, yeah. you want to live here. Yeah. You and your buildings do say that. They, they do. They scream that, right? Uh, who wouldn't want to be in any of these uh, complexes? And, and I think when we talk about community, when we only work here, we only live where we work, we want to be proud of those buildings. So it's not about every last dollar. And our company's never been like that. Um, you know, myself and my partners are aligned in the fact that we want to make a difference along the way. And that's more important than trying to get every last dollar out of every deal. Right. If we could do great things and make some money along the way and the city's better for it and we can be proud of the places that we've done, then that's job well done in our mind. Yeah. And uh, so a lot of the stuff we do sometimes doesn't always make sense. Yeah. Um, but staying on that vision. Does it make sense on paper, you mean? On paper, well, it's just you know we're sitting in an office uh, that's the top floor of this building. With that's our office, it makes no sense for what we're doing here. Right, um, but right. it reflects what we do and who we are. Right, and these top two floors were really just to make the whole building more attractive. Yeah. We're not uh, changing the the way this you know this is a forty five thousand square foot building. We added you know four thousand more square feet. It's not there's no model that makes sense of that right but right. in our minds in order to make the whole development more attractive that's how we justify it that we've made the whole building better optically therefore the whole building is better off so all forty-five thousand square feet are better off not just right. the four thousand square foot addition because the four thousand square feet doesn't make sense but right. the forty-five thousand together does yeah one question and sure many uh feel very discouraged when they have to deal with building departments zoning things like that um, just, you know, as a, an expert uh, in dealing with the city uh, and have literally been dealing with them from, you know, very beginning of your career to where you are today, just what would you advise anyone's attitude to take with regards to dealing with, say, the city of Hamilton? Because many get discouraged. I don't know whether perhaps they're not doing it properly from the very beginning, but just uh, quick advice that you would give uh, when build, you know, dealing with any building or zoning department, but Hamilton specific. I mean, it's the only uh, municipality we know. And we made a conscious effort. We were banging our heads against the wall years ago. And my partner and I went, you know what? We're just going to be the best we could be at. So we're going to have the best relationships. We're going to respect the, you know, the departments in the way they deserve. Yeah. And I don't think, I think we're aligned in this, that you don't get anywhere in life having tantrums. Right. Everybody wants to be treated with respect. Yeah. And certainly nobody likes being told what to do. So the building department or the city planning department inherently you don't want to get along with because you don't want to be told what to do. Right. 
but they're there to make the city better as well. Right. And um, so I think since we changed that mentality, we're just going to be really good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to try to work with what they want. We're going to try to to develop the things they want to see. We're going to try to have our visions aligned. And I think that's gone a long way. So I think they would say they're proud to work with us and we would say they're proud, we're proud to work with them as well. Yeah. And I think that we would have as good of a relationship that's happened organically through mutual respect yeah. and just showing that we'll do the right thing. Yeah. You know, so I think we've earned that, that relationship that we do what we say and we say what we do. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a great philosophy because I, I, I've, I've heard lots of horror stories with the city of Hamilton, but I always had great success. Right. And you tra- treat them with respect. Absolutely. I just, you know, I, if there was a problem, I'd ask them, who do we need to get in the group to figure this out? Right. And, and they would always organize and I would have group meetings. Yeah. And, you know, when we, everyone works together and you're trying to get to the same goal. Right. Right. And if it doesn't make sense, and and you pitch it in that way and ask them like is does this make sense to you and many times if it doesn't make sense to them they'll actually provide and maybe try and find a solution and right. answer so yeah i always had fantastic uh, uh relations and i think again it's just like anything it's another thing about my business is i advocate that your your tenants are your clients treat your clients your your and this is this is residential and it doesn't matter they're your client, treat them with respect. And if you treat them with respect uh, and like they're your business asset, they're going, that only comes back and helps you in the long run. So mm-hmm. even when it comes to rental buildings, I don't really have any terrible uh, nightmare stories yeah. because that was the attitude that I took right. from the very beginning. Yeah. I mean, they also knew that I wasn't, you know, it, that I wasn't someone to fool with. You know what sure. I mean? Like, I'll treat you with all the respect in the world and you give it to me, but, you know, don't start playing games because right. that's, you know, that's yeah. not going to work out well either. So it was a mutual respect. It always worked. Right. Um, but I think what happens is, is that there are individuals that get into the game that find that they take kind of, um, I don't know, the best way to put it is maybe like a little bit of an elitist attitude, mm-hmm. that they're a little better than their tenants. And then that will automatically bring you into a direction of uh, problems, right? Right. To me, that's, you'll find out quickly whether you're cut to be in the business or you're not. Because, yeah. you know, if you're taking that attitude, there are people who do run their game like that. But that's not the way to really build a successful business if you really want to do it long term. And I think that uh, obviously everything that you've done, and we were just talking earlier today, and it's hard to believe that you've done this in 15 years, really, 15 years. Um, So it is possible for an individual who wants to work hard, literally sometimes working uh, for companies so that you could at least get the concept like you did, to you you said you were getting paid eight dollars an hour but really you were getting paid so much more because you were being taught didn't about have to pay for education it right was great. i right? got eight dollars more than i should have gotten listen i can't tell you how many <laughs> times i have trades and or were part of the project from beginning to end because i was learning yeah constantly right uh underpinning for god's sakes right like holy cow that is yeah holy do i have a respect for that industry uh, but that is an no easy art. way to do it. Oh my gosh, that is there is a labor job, but yeah. but there's skill and knowledge, 
and you can't uh you've got to be in the trenches to really appreciate what's involved and, and i think it, once you go through it then you appreciate what somebody's doing on your behalf right so i respect the trades that we work with right and i think there's level of respect that's given back to me because they acknowledge that i also know how to do it as well exactly not necessarily as well as they right can but uh you speak the language <clears throat> we're, right right which i wouldn't we self-manage uh, our construction uh we don't use like a, a gc we don't just farm it out and forget about right. it we're, we're involved in every step of the development from right. the acquisition to the the planning and the construction and then the property management we know we're we are the whole process yeah. you you do everything in-house so your residential property management you've got a full property management division i would yep. assume uh so and, and i then, think that goes a long way too because like i said we feel this sense of obligation that if somebody takes a risk in hamilton or a risk in our building we want to them to know that they're dealing with us yes and yeah. that we care yeah. and um you know we don't want to sell assets not that that's our model but we also feel an obligation to those tenants yeah. that we have to steward these properties to make sure that they're you know in our opinion um are taken care of properly because yeah. they can make a difference oh i advocate self-management i can't see how you can be in the industry without taking the initiative to really know the business from the right. very beginning and then you have to always realize that if you put your management and listen not everybody can give up their job and i always believe that really don't give up your job if you especially if you've got a career that you love for sure but absolutely don't not take the step to go into real estate yeah. as an investment but the management don't go and buy something so far away that you can't manage it mm -hmm. manage it yourself you don't need if you have four or five properties at the end of the end you've got a career that you've got and you've got four or five uh, properties you're winning yeah right and you've now not only do you have a nice little retirement income that you can live off that supplements what you've already uh gained from your employment but you've got something you can hand down to your family yeah right that's the way i'm like I, even though i'm canadian i'm kind of old school thinking right, right? Yeah. That's uh, legacy. I, I do i've always i believe that you've got to have yeah. something to give to your family yeah um my parents weren't raised that way but that's you know, I just maybe went out with a lot of European women and right. admired how their families and, and yeah. that rubbed off on me. Yeah. Right. Um, but uh, and and I also just want to highlight that, you know, you've got this incredible business that you've developed and you've done this in a very short period of time. But first and foremost, you're a family man. You got two beautiful kids. Yeah. Uh, absolutely adorable. Yeah. Uh, how old? Little, little maniacs, three and five. Three and five. Yeah, so little boy and girl. Um, I've just sat back and and I, you know, because we're we're friends in social media and I get to see it, and so it brings me back to uh, mine. But um, you, the, the having a balance in life is so important to any successful business, right? There has yeah. to be a balance, and and so I assume that your 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 partner has the same uh, ability yeah. to have a balance for for work. Absolutely. Yeah um it's so critical right uh yeah i mean he, and he's always just you know instilled that in me as well that yeah. you've got to enjoy if we're not enjoying the ride then what are we what are we doing right yeah. you can't i i don't think our approach is not to look at the finish line and go maybe one day at that finish line how sweet that'll be yeah if just try to enjoy the ride along the way and and work with great people and uh enjoy what we do and be yeah. proud of what we do and and i think having some balance 
Um, now we've got you know, a, a bit of a base that, that we can afford some time to not just be focused on work. I, I think my focus is still very driven on our growth and, and what we do and doing it well. And certainly I think there's still lots of work to be done in Hamilton. Right, right. Um, but, but I want to enjoy the time with my family and, and it, you know, it's goes by too fast. Yeah. And, and you know what, to get here, there's been a lot of all ins and a lot of risk and a lot of pushing, um, which there gets to a point where you just can't keep doing that. Right. You know, and, and like I said, now there's a bit of a base, but you know, in order to grow, you've got to, you've got to take some chances and take chances that you think you could control um, and work within your lane. And and I think it's been smart, aggressive growth. Um, But now we can kind of just pick and choose the projects we want to do and continue to grow, but not have to have every focus on that. And and pre-kids and pre-marriage, you know, that's just all it was. Yeah, but now well, I mean, it's, that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, uh, pre kids, pre marriage, right? Yeah, but, so push, 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 yeah. and and uh, you know now it's uh, still push, push, push at yeah. certain hours, and and yeah. uh, be focused on what we're doing, and uh, but not take away from the great things that we have in life as well. But quality of life is important, right? And, no question. Uh, and I think uh, I advocate really getting to know a market. So if I have clients that purchase in a, a location. Then I say, you know what, let's start focusing and now you keep your assets in that right. location. That way, you know, you can build upon it. You don't have, you know, one in St. Catharines and one in London and another one out in Toronto. Yeah. Let's just focus in on an area and try and advocate. So that's kind of the great thing about real estate though. There's all kinds of different ways you could do there it. There is so many ways to do if it. If you wanna have it as your sole business and that's what you wanna focus on, you could do that. Yeah. If you wanna have it as a side. You could do that. Yeah. If you want to be hands off and have a property manager do things for you, you could do like you want to buy in Capri, you could do that. If you yeah. want to add, yeah. add value, you could do that. I mean, the the nice thing is, I mean, for our business, we've always not wanted to build something that would have to be fed, you know, so it big asset base, but we don't have to have this big monster that has to feed it with a bunch of staff and, right. and overhead. It's right. like it's pretty once the challenge is, you know, the asset is there, um, we can work through it pretty well. And we know those buildings in and out. So it's Um, a well-oiled machine. Yeah. But you know what? If people want to buy across the country because they've got cap rates that are opportunities, then I think that's great. It's just, it's just not us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not me. Yeah. Uh, And I can't recommend anything that I wouldn't do. Sure. It's always been my nemesis. I couldn't sell a building to somebody that I wouldn't buy. Right. And I don't make recommendations unless it would be something that I'm comfortable with. Well, that's why people want to talk to you, though, because you're going to give honest feedback and what you know, rather than just say, yeah, you should buy it. I'm not a, uh, I've never been one to blow smoke up anybody's and I, you know, I've always been a straight shooter and it's just how I've rolled. Yeah. I got to be able to sleep at night. Right. Um, But also I have also had clients that have got themselves into situations and I rate the boat. Right. right? Uh, Take a situation and then uh, figure out a way to get it running properly. Right. So, um, well, you know what? I just want to, first of all, thank you so much for uh, spending this much time <laughs> for your day. Always fun. To I have. mean, uh, yeah. And uh, it's been a pleasure. It really has. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm curious to know that your father here was the one who said to you, you know, we'll support you. Go get a job after we just paid for your education <laughs> at and 
So what do your parents think of what you've done today? I think they're proud. Yeah, I think they're they're happy. Good for you. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's important. Like, right. I mean, they supported you and believed in your dream. Yeah. And look at where you are today. Right. Uh, I said to my kids, you know, um, I don't care what you do, whatever it is. I just want you to be happy. Yeah. Right. That's it. That's all. Because if you're happy, the money will come at, at whatever you do. But I don't want you doing a job just because, you know, even my, my youngest son is doing his uh, computer engineering, coding, uh, all of that. And uh, I just don't envision him being a coder. But yeah. that's something you really need to do now, right? It's the future. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I just said to him, I want you to travel. Uh, I want you to do what your older brother's done and your sister's done. And I want you to get out and start seeing the world a little bit. And then you're still young. And, uh, you know, if you've got another idea of a direction you want to go, I'll support that. I just want you to be happy, right? And you're doing something that you love. You're blessed, right? I mean, you must also be like, God, I'm actually doing a job that I actually love. It's pretty special. It's got to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I just want to thank you so much. Uh, And I just want to say it's been a pleasure to bear witness to what you've been doing. (laughs) I do. I love it. It's just you really are kind of... uh, uh, in many ways and how you run your business and, and your vision. You're like a brother from another mother in that you, <laughs> I get it. I, I get exactly the vision that both you and your partner have. Yeah. So thank you for that. Uh, I celebrate that and uh, cool. thank you. Thank you very much. Awesome. All right, buddy. Thanks, Frank. Yeah. We'll be right back. Well, that's a wrap. I hope that everybody uh, enjoyed that show, Steve. Uh, story is absolutely wonderful. It's inspiring. Goes to show you that uh, you can literally start from the ground level, and uh, you know, in a matter of time, uh, you can have a portfolio worth tens and tens of millions of dollars. So anyone uh, can do it, and I hope uh, that provides the type of inspiration that in life we all need. So thank you very much. This has been the great experiment. As I've explained before, I have no intention on being a podcast personality or social media personality or whatever, however you define it. Um, My goal is to uh, help you succeed in real estate. And the only way that I'm going to know that uh, is by whether we get good response on the show and it's shared and it's followed and so on and so forth. And I guess time will tell. So um, I always believe if you're going to do something, um, do it right. Go big or go home. Uh, do it, you know, to the best of your ability. And uh, and we'll see uh, what the future brings. I have some great ideas um, for for next year for guests that I think everybody will be uh, intrigued by. Um, but I'm not really going to do it uh, unless we see that we get a lot of activity and great feedback. So um, most importantly, I want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a fantastic, uh, prosperous 2022. Happy New Year to everybody. And most importantly, I really want to thank uh, the team that really made everything 
happened, uh, come together to make Let's Be Frank uh, what it is. And uh, without the team, uh, without the experts, um, I wouldn't have been able to do it. I had the idea. I had the vision. I knew what I wanted. I knew uh, how I uh, perceived the show to be from beginning to end. Uh, with, but without bringing together the entire team, um, I, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do it. And uh, so, you know, if there's anything that you learn from these shows, is that is that you've got to set your team up first and foremost uh, in order to succeed. Um, there's no sense in trying to reinvent the wheel. Uh, there's no sense in trying to make uh, costly mistakes when they're not needed. Um, and so, you know, reach out. And uh, we and I are here to help. And I just want to thank everyone for joining us uh, on Let's Be Frank. Whoa, oh, yeah.